0: You're listening to Don't Waste Water. When the focus is you take a brine and your focus is separating the water and reusing it and then taking the impurities, this is... The flip, we don't want the water, let's take the water out. We want the lithium, we want the nickel, We, you know, whatever it may be. Hello, bonjour, and
1: welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast.
0: Prime mining, the story is still yet to be written. Just think about the benefit if the economics can be evolved. Look at solar. 20 years ago, if somebody told you that solar was going to be 10 cents a kilowatt hour, everybody would have laughed. Today, it's like 2.75 cents, let alone 10 cents. Mm -hmm. But it took time, it took help from government governments, incentives, tax incentives. You need some supernatural inertia to make an industry grow.
1: I'm your host, Antoine Valter, and in today's episode, I'm delighted to welcome Deves Sharma as my guest.
0: Being an entrepreneur is like a bicyclist. you got to keep pedaling or you fall down. So the goal isn't to be the biggest It's to be the best. There's no shortcuts. You got to do good work. Devesh is the CEO of Aquatech. For our own young engineers, it's so important to get them out to the site because everything is theoretical. You can get a PNID and you can look at valves and pumps all day long and do calculations. But until you visualize it in the field and you
1: understand how everything comes together, I thought that was invaluable. Aquatech helps the world's most recognized companies solve important water challenges. There's a fine line between risk-taking and putting all you have at stake, between perseverance and obstinacy, and between grit and recklessness. And it's only when the dust settles that you'll know on which side of the line the ball decided to fall. When I started my career in the water industry, veterans were telling me, keep your fingers off the industrial market. It's who's the cheapest game, and they're so short-term minded that it's depressing. Yet, at the same time, these veterans opted out of the industrial Aquatech was created as an almost pure play dedicated to that very specific end of the market. Risk-taking or putting all you have at stake? A couple of decades later, and long before it was hype, that same Aquatech ventured into water as a service to speed up the adoption of its technologies. Perseverance or obstinacy? And while the world of water consolidates in a fashion we've probably never experienced before, AquaTech trusts it can keep growing and build its path as a private family company. Grit or recklessness? Well, I don't have all the answers, but what I can tell is that as the dust settles, the industrial end of the water market is the one thriving right now as it's faced with the hottest challenges ever, which in turn generate new opportunities. And as Devesh will explain in a minute, 30% of AquaTech's revenue today comes from its Water as a Service. Said differently, they have a 30% probably high margin annual recurring revenue with a plan to expand it to 50%. That's a ratio that kind of turns a hardware company into a software slash tech type of play. And with that mix, Water suddenly becomes a much more scalable business, as we've seen with Gradient recently turning into the water sector's first unicorn. Well, Gradient and Aquatech are certainly not the same, but they share some similarities in the technologies they develop and the markets they serve, and Gradient claimed its unicorn status thanks to a $225 million Series D raised at that billion-dollar valuation. I'm throwing Gradient in the discussion here because we're debating the possible next steps for Aquatech with Devesh today, and my napkin calculations and estimates indicate to me that Aquatech is probably already a unicorn given its revenue mix, proprietary technology, and turnover somewhat double of gradients. Take it with a pinch of salt, none of these companies are public, so all of that is pure guesstimate. Now, I mentioned dust settling, and I'm using that metaphor on purpose, because Aquatech was chosen by Lithium Americas to build the lithium refinery at its upcoming Thacopass lithium mine, which is extracting this white oil from clay, so settled dust. And Aquatech has the perfect portfolio to take on this 2020s challenge, because it tripled down on industrial water and zero liquid discharge since the 1980s, something we'll dive into much deeper with Devesh in today's conversation. Finally, I think Aquatec's story is inspirational on many more levels. It's also the tale of a family business taken to its today's shape and successes by two brothers that were respectively 24 and 14 when they took over. So let me avoid spoiling everything and leave the floor to Devesh just after reminding you that if you like what you hear, Please take this episode and share it with a friend, a colleague, your boss, or your team. And also, don't forget to subscribe. Come on, do it, and I'll meet you on the other side. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Hi, Nivesh. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Antoine. I'm excited for many reasons to have that conversation with you. I'll save it for the second part of the interview because you might have big news to comment. There's much more about AquaTech, but before we jump into that, I have a tradition on the microphone, which is to open with a postcard. So what can you tell me about the place you're usually at when you're not in a deep borough sitting down with me, which I would ignore by now?
0: AquaTech's headquarters is, and my birthplace is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So the postcard is from Pittsburgh. We love to have you over our headquarters one day. Pittsburgh's a beautiful city it's
1: a city of three rivers and uh, the home of my Pittsburgh Steelers you are Leading a quite special company in this water space for different reasons, but my first question is: Is it a family business? That's a good question. I think it is a family business, but in more ways
0: than you think. The company was started by my father in 1981 in Pittsburgh. He was always a water engineer. Late 50s, graduated from a college in India, moved to the U.S. and Canada in the late 60s, and was always working in the water industry. And settled down in Pittsburgh and decided to start his own company. Ten years into it, he had an untim- Timely passing. In 1991, he passed away, and Venki, my brother, took over at the age of 24. I was 14 at the time. From that point of view, we're a private company and uh, very much a family business. But I think, in the second way, it's more interesting in that um, we've grown over 40 years with an amazing management team. I talk to people every day that have been with the company over 20, 25, 30 years, and we wouldn't get to this level without them. That feels like a family. I mean, I've worked with people closely longer than I knew my dad. From that point of view, we're very much a family company.
1: What would be your elevator pitch to Aquatech, to someone who would ignore what Aquatech does? I'm not sure if there are still people who ignore what Aquatech does, but in case.
0: Elevator pitch, let's see. We solve water scarcity challenges. Uh, we help some of the most recognized companies treat their water. Water and process technology is at the heart of what we do. We're at our best when we can solve complex water challenges. And that's what really what we're all about. Some statistics, um, 2,000 installations in 60 countries. Um, as I said, 42-year-old company. We're really proud of the stability in this fast moving market we've always had the same ownership for 42 years and very
1: proud of that actually yesterday i was sitting down with Chimera. we are here at the boutique forum in edinburgh when i looked at the website of kemira there's like five products i did the same exercise with your website and it's the total opposite it's every single technology i could think of it seems like you're doing it. How do you manage to have such a broad portfolio?
0: It's exhausting sometimes, but the best recognition you get is what others say about you. Maybe over 10 years ago, there was some article, it was something that GWI published about us. It basically said that while others promote what they know, Aquatex clients can be assured they're gonna get the best solution for their need. I looked at that and I said, geez, I." Couldn't have said it better. I I mean, that's what I think. But the words came out from somebody external. And that's our brand promise. Every corporate presentation I give, I end with, with that quote. I really want to live through that quote. And for that, you know, water is hard. It's never just one thing. It's always a combination of processes to meet a process guarantee, to meet an objective. I think we've done a great job developing deep knowledge and experience in many different processes to put them together to reach that goal for our clients. And that's really that kind of superpower or secret sauce. That's what makes us different.
1: When speaking with sea level people in the water industry, it's always an amazing conversation, but sometimes they just came from a different industry and started directly at that stratosphere, it's not your case. You've been built through the various roles and positions within AquaTech. So what did you learn on that path?
0: A ton. I love the way you asked the question because I'm gonna come back to the the outsiders that have come into our industry, but I've had the, Fortunate opportunity to really work in, in every part of the business. You know, I've bid projects, I've managed projects. I have to start at the beginning. The most memorable, fun, biggest learning was when nothing's better than when you're at a job site.
1: Commissioning? Yeah. All right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Com- commissioning. And I feel for our own young engineers, it's so important to get them out to the site because everything is theoretical. You can get a PNID and you can look at valves and pumps all day long and do calculations. But until you visualize, it in the field, and you understand how everything comes together. I thought that was invaluable. It's also working under pressure. I have this little uh, frame picture on my desk. It was from the summer of '96. I was at a job site in India. I was in college at the time. It was a summer. We had to meet a commissioning schedule, and I'm standing there with with the team, and we have a little notepad, and it says two gas turbine. We did this. We we commissioned the water. They got to do their boiler blowdown their startup of their boiler the feeling you get when you're on site is unmatched and the experience you get is unmatched about the outsiders it's a blessing and a curse Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you're too in it i always admire the perspective of somebody who comes into the industry with no sacred cows and just asks fundamental questions there's a lot to be said about that too and we've seen some success stories there as well so i always try to give a balanced thing there's some advantages with that as
1: well i think you've Absolutely right. The, the best situation is the combination between the two words. I'm often told that the two positions where you learn the most about the water industry is commissioning, as I said, and project manager, because the project manager is a bit the CEO of his project, so it's a way to learn how the company looks like. And then you're the right as well. When you come from the outside, you don't know what's impossible, so basically everything could be possible and everything is questionable. So interesting perspective. Talking about aquatech, if I'm right, you're more focused on the industrial side of the business. Very much. So. Is that true? Very much so we've always
0: been uh, very focused on industry we we love working with industrial clients it's what we 're good at it's where complex water technology is needed the most. We have ventured into municipal and infrastructure because of desalination and water reuse so really that is a vertical for us is, is desalination and water reuse where we do get into into outside of industrial, but at our core we 're really ninety plus percent an industrial water treatment company
1: but that's a daring move to start a company with this industrial target at first, because you mentioned it's a 40 years company 40 years ago, Water waste the treatment for industrials was much seen as a cost to be in business. You really took it from the north face, if I want to take a an alpinist metaphor.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's hindsight's always 2020. 20. When you look back, there's four decades of evolution of aquatech. When we started, we talked about Pittsburgh. We were doing filtration and demineralization for steel companies. Mm-hmm. You know, the highest level. If you distill our company, we started by taking pretty clean water and making it very pure or ultra pure for industrial use. And that's what we've done for most of our journey for 40 years. It's just the water has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse. So in the 80s we really embraced the concept of an integrated solution. Where a lot of companies were just specialized on demineralization. That's a personality of Aquatech is getting into these technologies. So we got into RO, we got into pre-treatment. We said companies used to bring out packages and say we want a demineralization plant. We want a pre-treatment plant. We want a polishing plant. And we said, well, why don't we do all of these? So the 80s was really around integrated solutions. And and that came early in our journey. The 90s was international expansion. We were at that time very focused on greenfield. So somebody's building new plants, weren't building many of those in the United States. So we we followed suit. Mm -hmm. And for a company of our size at that time, I thought we punched way above our weight class where we started subsidiaries in the 90s in India, in China and the late 90s in the Middle East, and developed a great a global capability to source to be present to support our clients around the world. I think late 90s to 2000 to 2010 was about technology. It was about doubling down, we initiated R&D efforts in the late 90s and what came out of that was our division called Quad. Where we do membrane products, UF, fractional electrodeionization, MBR, ceramic membranes, and our own applied testing and development laboratories, which is critical today and has brought us uh, a lot of success in partnering with our clients. And really, that fourth decade has been about expanding our capabilities, heavy focus on service because of our focus on total cost of ownership and operating plants well when required, doing an EPC wrap and doing more for our clients, and really evolving to taking all of that. That technology and service capability and really ideally trying to sell water to the client water technology as a service
1: there's enough to unpack let's start <laughs> yeah, um, with that last section which is you could be an apc if needed but you're rather transforming into a service company with water as a service if you have to really put you in a box like what are you today technology and service and they go together
0: because you have to design a plant as it would be operated maybe 40 years ago when we started we were a manufacturer Mm -hmm. but we're really technology and service technology and service
1: technology and service what is a service is extremely trendy as a concept and as a buzzword how much of your turnover is it today last year in 2020 was about
0: 30 percent Wow! and we'd like to take it beyond 50. what was your first what is a service project? I love that question because I want to stress that maybe we're doing more external marketing of that concept, but we've been doing this for many, many years. I remember it was a very famous company, uh refinery in South Asia.
1: Should I try to guess or?
0: <laughs> I didn't come prepared to
1: know whether I <laughs> no, should no, name no, don't, names, don't worry, so don't worry. I
0: think you could guess. We were promoting industrial reuse and this was in early 2000. So it was not the commonplace thing that it is today. So we had a unique technology. We piloted this technology in other refineries in the country. We had great pilot reports and this company came to us and they said, we want to do this. We've seen your pilot studies. We don't need to do a pilot. We want to implement this, but it's new technology knowledge, we want you to own and operate it. We said, oh my God, we can't do that. We rebuild plants. We, We just supply plants. After a couple of weeks, it was evident to us that we're not going to implement this project unless we Take the gulp and do it i think it's one of the top three to five most successful things we've ever done as a company we ended up doing it we ended up owning and operating it we ended up expanding it twice to like four times the size when we were negotiating it the client said we're gonna have a buyout schedule once you operate this once you show this we'll buy it out then about two years later after we did the expansion. We were having dinner and we were talking. Well, the client asked me, he says, he says, Devesh, why do you think we now expanded this again on a build on operate? And I said, um, I think you uh, find it easy. You don't have to go. It's all opex You don't have to, to go through a CapEx cycle. I said, no, no, our cash capital is very low. We have a lot of CapEx, but our refinery is very unique it's one of the most adapting in the world and every time a new ship comes with a new source of crude two weeks later through as it goes through the process the wastewater fluctuates and it's very challenging and we know that and we see the pain you take and your people take to keep this plant running and we don't think we can do that
1: so if i try to check if i understand you right on that one that means it was about technology adoption at first yes and they wanted to de-risk the fact that they were working with you. So that was the icebreaker. And then the reason why you're still operating as a service is because you have an operation excellence, which they don't have in house. So it's kind of a win-win. Yes. That's an interesting setup. We are at the Bluetech Forum, I mentioned that yesterday there was a discussion around how to adopt innovation faster and how to speed up those 12 to 16 years it takes for technology to be in the middle of the market. Would you say that water as a service is the perfect tool to do that?
0: You couldn't have said it better. It, It absolutely is because the value proposition is go to a reputed partner and don't get into what is the technology know that you have a company that has decades of experience and is going to give you process guarantees you know we're getting back to the to the secret sauce or or what differentiates us uh, i'd like to print a sweatshirt that says meeting process guarantees since 1981 that really summarizes aquatech and that moment was the the aha moment is that finance in water as a service is secondary it's really about taking the client's pain away i love this question about the 16 years or the 13 years uh, cycle and and, and my dream is how are we going to shorten that in this industry? And I think this way, the water technology. That's why we don't say water as a service. We say water technology as a service. And I think that's one of the objectives.
1: I have a question on the process guarantees. It might be a tricky question, you'll tell me. I was taught about wastewater treatments by, I learned it in school, but what you learn in school goes a certain way. Then I learned it in the field. And I learned with two of my very first guests on that podcast. So the number one podcast, the first one, at number four, so Laurent Defrancheschi and Katia Vaziak. And what I learned with them is that one of the big skills you need to have in water and wastewater treatments is learning how to write process guarantees. Because if you write them right, then they will never apply. It is a balance of risk management, but we don't say process
0: guarantees. We don't take that very lightly, That that's very serious. That's at the end of the day, what the client needs. That's also why we work with industrial clients, because you talk together, you partner together, you know, you have a design basis. It's very tough and, and you can't build a credibility and reputation in the industry. If you're going to be a company that goes out there and says, aha, you know, this isn't here. This isn't there. At the end of the day, you got to perform. whether
1: you can get out contractually or not, 50% of our business is repeat business. That was going to be my question, because yeah, you're absolutely right. You can trick someone only once. And once you've done that, and in this industrial world, as you said, if you're building with a company in the US, your business plan and your go-to market is to follow them when they are expanding in the next country. Exactly. And if you cheated them on the first project, then there's no second project. So that would be kind of stupid and you don't seem to be like a stupid person at all. So thank you, (laughs) just curious. (laughs) You mentioned how you are also working at at getting innovation faster in the market. What is your coolest innovation of the past five years?
0: Two come to mind. We've always been in zero liquid discharge. 20 years ago, it was a niche. Today, 80 plus percent of our business comes from MLD, ZLD or brine management in the process side, Mm -hmm. okay? Before we got into the industry, zero discharge was a big evaporator highly metallurgical high opex high capex we're very proud of an innovation we brought to the industry which is hybrid zero liquid discharge i think we were amongst the first i'd like to say we we're the first but i'll say amongst the first to prove that you can operate ro highly efficiently on difficult to treat wastewaters reliably thus increasing the recovery through a membrane system and then shrinking your thermal system it was so successful, we ended up buying a, a thermal business called AquaChem at the time and really being a single source provider for Zero Discharge. But Zero Discharge has always been relatively more costly. And the mission is how do you reduce the cost of zero liquid discharge? How do you democratize zero liquid discharge? So for smaller flows to avoid trucking off of site, what can you do? Our R&D team developed membrane distillation process. We call it AVMD, Advanced Vacuum Membrane Distillation. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a V there for a while because tinkering and, and, and working in R&D. So what a membrane distillation is, it's a hydrophobic membrane. So you're drawing the water in a, in a vapor form across the membrane and the membrane kept on falling. Well, our process takes the best of our knowledge from how evaporators work and heat management. And we have a vacuum that that draws, basically the membrane surface is not wetted. You know, last night we got a Lighthouse Award for that. Uh, We've applied this in a pharmaceutical plant. Smaller flows, but very impactful industries. And uh, this is reducing the cost of zero liquid discharge. I think another one that that really comes to mind is our approach on digital and operations. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a product called Biofilm Pro, which is aimed at integrating sensors, a little bit of chemicals and some proprietary devices and AI and machine learning to predict biofouling on heat transfer surfaces and real-time apply the right
1: solution to curtail it before it festers. Do you do that alone or do you team up with smaller players, universities, startups? You know, that
0: is a really good question, Antoine. Our journey, when I told you we started our, our technology efforts in the late 90s, we licensed a lot of technologies, we acquired a company. It was heavily, you could say, external, and once we saw how successful, technology and applying unique differentiated technology can be. We invested a lot and got a lot out of our R&D. I mean, we created a membrane company out of it. We have 25 patent families. The ship went into the other direction where it was a heavily internal. I think today we're more balanced where we have a lot of applied testing. We have our continuous R&D and we pick and choose projects of what we can do. But we also are very cognizant that there are just a lot of innovators out there moving much faster than we can ourselves. And back to that, ethos is we're not the company that says we'll only do it if it's homegrown we have to find the right solution for our clients internally or externally and there's a real balance of that so we do I think our ability to integrate and wrap and provide process guarantees and and be confident of that makes us a great partner for some of these young company innovators out there that have a very good solutions that that fit that process flow scheme
1: you mentioned your lighthouse award which you got yesterday congratulations thank you uh, on that what does innovation for impact mean for you oh loaded question wow okay
0: Uh, I think innovation for impact, we are are all in. I heard somebody say that I can't take credit for this, but um, I was at a panel last week at GWS on energy transition and the closing statement was, let's face it, guys, there's no green without blue. Taking all of our skills now, we're very, very focused on supporting the energy transition. So that's kind of a bigger goal, a broader impact is we're really going all in our industry verticals on decarbonization, energy transition, carbon capture we're working in right now, biofuels, lithium and critical minerals and hydrogen. I think innovation for impact means making a commitment to the company to support the energy transition the world needs and kind of being at the forefront of that. So that's that's the first thing that comes to mind.
1: I would be Incredibly curious to explore every of those verticals, but I have to <laughs> pick some because I need to be cautious every time as well. So I'm very curious about the lithium one because okay. I just saw that you got awarded the contract for the lithium refining at Thacker Pass. So to give a bit of context for the ones that would not have followed all the lithium stories in the US. Today the US produce a little bit of lithium in Nevada and that's about it and there are plans to produce much more. I had Standard Lithium on that microphone to discuss that project in uh, El Dorado, but that's the cool key on the block, direct lithium extraction. There's the traditional ones, which is going more into mining and the emblematic project of mining in the US is Thacopass. And everybody was looking at that thinking, if Thacopass doesn't make it, then nobody will make it. So there was a waiting on that project. I think it's developed by Lithium Americas. Yes. Usually, the usual suspects you see in lithium refining for these kind of plants are Veolia, HPD, Coke Engineers, and that's about it. Comes Thacker Pass, and who's got the contract? Aquatech. How does that happen? What will you be doing there? And what's the story? It's been an actual
0: long journey. Before I talk a little bit about Thacker Pass, I, I just want to mention that being in managing brine, a company that manages brine, we've kind of been doing things in this area a long time. It just hasn't been that visible of a market that's what I suspected so a lot of brine mining which if we have some time we can talk about as well is very interesting but you know our entry into this market I mean when the focus is you take a brine and your focus is separating the water and reusing it and then taking the impurities this is flip we don't want the water let's take the water out we want the lithium we want the nickel we you know whatever it may be Mm -hmm. the skills are very very similar it's not necessarily new technology it may be the application of existing technology to meet new outcomes and lithium america's it's been a two-year partnership with them that started in the lab it's samples it's how can we prove to a demonstration in our Applied Testing and Development Facility in Milwaukee, and at the same time at their Applied Testing and Development Facility in Reno, where we've got a demonstration plant that brine in one side and, you know, triple nine purity lithium carbonate on the other side. It's a great industry. This is a particularly a wonderful client that we work as a partnership to validate and create a robust design. And it's very important for investors and owners to see that and that have that validation of the lithium purity. You mentioned the proximity
1: to brine mining and to what you've been doing in ZLD for decades, if not decades, is it really the same thing or did you have to adapt your processes as well?
0: Yes and no. You know, it is the same thing in it's an integrated, a lot of times bespoke process, but it's applying mostly existing technology that's very proven to meet that unique outcome. So brine mining, the story is still yet to be written. Just think about the benefit if the economics can be evolved. Look at solar. 20 years ago, if somebody told you that solar was going to be 10 cents a kilowatt hour, everybody would of laugh today it's like 2.75 cents let alone 10 cents Mm -hmm. but it took time it took help from governments incentives tax incentives you need some supernatural inertia to make an industry grow and then technological solutions are developed scale happens and you find a way to make it economical i think brine mining is in that early phase right now hey if somebody can invent something very cool to do with sodium chloride we got a very
1: interesting industry Very true. Again, brine mining could be another hardware I I need to focus To to stay on on that lithium topic, this Thakobass project is a lighthouse project, but it comes with its challenges. It's the first time that lithium gets extracted from clay and not hard rock. I guess it's going to be like a good visit card to then visit different places and say it's what you expect, but it's not the traditional way. Does that mean you will become a major lithium refining you. it's a market that
0: is dealing with complex brines and creating pure products with complex processes so circling back to what we're really good at it's a great fit for us so yeah. you're saying it's not that you will become you already are i wouldn't want to be so I, I i think we have work to do but yeah it's a big focus area for us it's a big focus area for us and um, we like this holistic approach and we're very well suited Um, i saw a slide the other day and it's like we have a vertically integrated approach to the process scheme and i say no we have a horizontal we have a horizontally integrated approach you know we have the ability to to partner with the best technology if we can provide it we'll provide it but we can deliver a process train reliably integrate it and take the pain of our clients away and partner with our clients. And it's almost like, you know, we've developed this capability over 40 years. And here we have this very unique industry to really
1: apply everything we know to. And that's, that's super exciting. Given your position in the company, I'm 200% sure you have access to the numbers. So you'll tell me if I'm totally off. I have been told by water professionals that the reason why they go into these new applications, battery, lithium, hydrogen soon it's because they're sick and tired of the two to three percent profit margin which you get in the traditional water and they also want to take a piece of the cake at 20 30 percent profit margin am i remotely true with that i'm not going to comment on your
0: numbers (laughs) um but i I think relatively look um we can't forget about water water is a super exciting industry Uh, we got a balance Lithium's is very exciting. You know, the, the thing is when you have a chance to work with a client and help them solve a problem that's core to their product, that's a different uh, place than sometimes water is we have to work to support our clients, but we're the utility. So the nature of the two is different, but you, you have to balance. We're going to grow in lithium and critical minerals. We're going to grow in resource recovery and we're going to grow in water. And we have to, one of my challenges is to maintain the
1: discrete focus on all of them, On that microphone, I had a conversation with Ben Sparrow from Saltworks, and he shared how they have roughly one year of backlog. So lead times are increasing because they are pushing things out of the door as fast as they can. But the market is growing even faster than they are growing themselves. And he said that- So you're saying that basically you might be the bottleneck.
0: Correct. Us and our competitors. And that has implications on the water treatment industry as well because with the lithium industry heating up and these clients move fast and they have a willingness to pay that's going to draw capacity out of the water treatment industry this will all unravel in the coming years i hope i'm wrong But I I think, in fact, we already know that lead times are increasing across the board. Some of our competitors are quoting up to three years.
1: Do you share that concern? And what are your current
0: lead times? I certainly can't argue with the concern. And that's why we're engaged early. Companies have to make early decisions because it's, it's a process of concept, pilot, demo, implementation. And we are focusing with several clients early and reserving our capacity it's kind of like we were built for this over our journey we have engineering all around the world we have sourcing all around the world we're doing projects in south america right now and we're sourcing globally we're doing projects in the u.s we're sourcing in the US. So there's a lot of variety to our global sourcing capability. But I mean, lead times could be from project implementation, 12 to 24 months. But that's the tip of the iceberg. What about all of the development that happened before that? So I'm trying to answer the question the best I can, but you know, we're not providing one unit that I can say, oh, well, you know, this is the delivery time of this unit. It's, get back to it, complex projects. Each project has a different dynamic. A lot of these are in remote locations, so there's a high level of modularity. If you go to our plant right now, you'll see stacks of things that don't fit inside that are built to be put together very simply at site, but we're doing the fit up outside in the parking lot. It was a nice picture opportunity. We would take our sons and daughters to work day, and we had a, a, a Kona ice truck, and everybody was out there and behind. We had this dramatic thing with a bunch of mods, Modules being built very interesting so it's it's a tough question to answer there's not a there's not a single soundbite I could give you for that but I hope I was
1: able to answer it absolutely and if you have that picture I'd be very happy to add it you mentioned in the very beginning of this conversation how you're a private company you have a major stakeholder if I'm right yes you're also a specific size of company which is getting very 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 rare like this Middle sized global player. You have the very big ones, which even have this tendency. Exactly. (laughs) So when you have Xylan buying Evoqua, Veolia acquiring Suez, and then you have these. New entrants which want to gobble as much as possible the fastest they can. I met with Ski on Water uh, last week and this week, and they said uh, they already did four acquisitions since the beginning of the year. At some point, given your perfect adequation between the challenges of the time and your technology portfolio, given the fact that you're a private company, given the fact that you already have a big company on your shareholders, aren't you the perfect targets? I think I can't argue with you. I I think so.
0: We are extremely passionate about our business myself and I speak for my brother Banky, uh, and I think I speak for our management team who's been on this journey with us most of them for the last 25 years we just want to do good work you know I remember I've, I've just seen this throughout my whole career one of my projects when i was in college in the mid 90s was uh, i took a uh, mergers and acquisitions class and i did my project report on the u.s filter roll up and so i was fascinated about this and i've seen the whole u.s filter then vivendi buying u.s filter becoming veolia and selling into siemens, siemens becoming evokua Be- then ge glegg ionix xenon kind of early in the car- in in my career i was really kind of like maybe in the young turk mode it's like oh we're going to do? And before long, it's kind of like our real ethos is we just want to focus. Uh, growth is important. You walk into Aquatech, uh, there's a picture of our founder. There's a quote underneath it is Being an entrepreneur is like a bicyclist. You got to keep pedaling or you fall down. So the goal isn't to be the biggest it's to be the best. There's no shortcuts. You got to do good work. Just doing it inorganically is very difficult to get you there. You mentioned Ecolab. It's a great partner. We're very complementary companies. One third of the company? I can't disclose numbers. Okay. Uh, So we're a private company. We don't do that. But significant stakeholder in Aquatech, we kind of, you know, work independently, but we have the connection to provide our respective solutions to each other. And most importantly, to the clients whether it's you know a steel plant in Europe or a biorefinery in Louisiana or our auto manufacturer in Alabama we work together between the two of us is nothing that we can't do and that's been very valuable and that's helped us with our mission but
1: that's the full point it's that if you look at what they do and what you do there is very limited overlap so it's like the perfect fit which makes me think it could fit even better.
0: Yeah, but you know, it's it's been several years, and I think we're we're both in a, in a very good place right now, so I can't feed into your hints, because that's um, very, very honestly, we're just... No, we're just friends. Our approach is to continue to keep doing work, ideally continue to be a private company, but also, we want to grow, we want to leave our mark on this industry, and when we see right synergies, like we did at the time when we did the deal with Ecolab, we will continue to do that to, to be better. And IPO is totally out of the picture tough question if and when it has to be the right fundamentals we have to be able to deliver the right value water is a challenge to scale what we do very well is we scale technologies and scale plants scaling the business water
1: as a service is very important that's what I was going to say if you have 30 percent of your revenue which is it almost makes you a tech company. Maybe it's difficult to scale, but you're, it's a terrible way to say it, you're a cash cow I would see that working. And if you want to grow further your water service, it means you need cash to invest in your plants upfront, mm-hmm. which you could get with an IPO. I didn't take m a courses. I'm a total muggle. So I'm really doing like no risk. To-
0: like you, I'm a engineer and learning as we go along, but that is not the goal. The goal is to do good work, to continue to growing, to satisfy clients, to have employees that are really excited and happy and nothing's out of the question in that case but you know there's other ways to solve these things we did a, a wonderful deal great partner ours is upwell water and we've created a jv called aquios Aquatech upwell industrial outsourcing and we partner to do this water technology as a service mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to necessarily flow
1: through your own balance sheet there's different ways to to skin the cat do you imagine how IPO, M&A, whatever, is just a tool and that what matters is your goal and how you achieve that goal. Which leads me to the last section for me in that deep dive, which is as the CEO of the company, what is your metric for impact? What are you following as an all-star, which tells you that you have a positive impact? Very good question. I, I think um, definitely
0: employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, repeat business. Very important financially. Constant growth. It's not about how fast or how much. It's about what's the right growth for you to keep doing the good work and to not lose your credibility or your quality. I think the energy transition piece is: can we make an impact in this world by supporting and accelerating the green with the blue? We want to be the number one industrial water treatment company in the market. Um, that's cool. Um, that's I love it. That's the aspirational goal. Is is when you talk to an end user and you say, "Who are the companies?" AquaTech is first in mind. That's really
1: sums up those goals, the way I think about that. You obviously are long-term oriented because of the setup of the company, because of your history with the company, because of the fact you're working with some members of your family, some members of, of your management, which you're working for 25 years. What is your horizon? Is it five years plan, 10 years plan, 20 years more? In this industry, it's very difficult to have a one-year plan. So let's
0: throw that out the table because, you know, project cycles, everything we've talked about. I think on a short-term basis, it's a minimum of like a three years. Like, What do we want to achieve on a rolling basis? Of course, you have your one-year plan, your financial goals, and all of that always, but You know, so we look at it kind of that short to medium term on a three to five year basis. I think that's where a lot of the time goes in. But certainly the horizon is, that's just rolling. It's infinite in a way. I mean, we, I don't have a number, but, but it's like, yeah, you know, in 10 years, we're going to keep
1: doing this. And 20 years, we're going to keep, I can't think of anything else. I don't know anything else. The best you told you have to be cautious every time. It's a pity because I would have so many more topics. The ones you mentioned, the ones you didn't even mention, I bumped into some of your colleagues last week, which gave me some very interesting roads I'd like to explore with you, with AquaTech at some point. I heard you that uh, you have a great facility in Pittsburgh and that if I'm one day in Pittsburgh, you might have some time, so. Absolutely, anytime. I use that joker card, I remind you of that. But for today, I have to go to the last section of this conversation, which is the rapid fire question. Okay. It's time for the rapid fire questions. So in that last section, I have short questions which aim for short answers, but I'm not cutting the microphone at any point. The first one is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? One that comes to mind is Fulcrum
0: Bioenergy. It's a, what it represents is is great. It's municipal solid waste to jet fuel, garbage to jet fuel. Where Uh, is it? uh, Nevada. What can we achieve as a species if we can turn garbage? fridge the jet fuel but the wastewater is very challenging and this is kind of that culmination of that water technology as a service this thing's got anaerobic treatment aerobic treatment water in pure water our electrodeionization it's kind of a you know high recovery ro zld you know uh, and a 25-year operating contract. That's very exciting, but also on the, the services side, we've worked together with Upwell and we've just, uh, last, end of last year, kicked off our rental fleet. Also, what's fun to drive into the office every morning and I see trailers you know, say, AquaTech Mobile Services, and, you know, we have the conventional RO, EDI, UF, pure water treatment, but, you know, we have DAFs and wastewater treatment and MBBRs, and before our first units were even off the assembly line, we already sold the wastewater treatment rentals. So that's going to be a going part of their business, that mission to raise that 30%. So stuff like that's also very exciting. So, so again, balance, you know, you have the really complex Uber technical project but you know things like rentals or, or Biophone pro are equally as exciting. Give me one thing that you learned the hard way how about two? One first and foremost guiding light you can't fight economics okay you have to look at the business case so many years I focused on how cool a technology is or how cool a solution is you got to figure out if it makes economic sense. The second one is uh, there's no shortcuts, Uh, especially in this industry. You have to do good work, you have to execute projects, they're complex. It's not as easy as saying, oh, this water analysis has changed. You still have to deliver for the client, you know, no shortcuts.
1: Is there something you are doing today in your job that you will not be doing in 10 years? I hope I'm not multitasking as much as I am today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, that's one thing that that comes to mind. Um, I hope I'm traveling less, but... uh, if you ask my wife she would look behind me and she says he doesn't mean that he loves to travel so <laughs> I don't know but uh, that's that's certainly
1: what comes to mind it's very interesting because everybody mentions this this travel element, and on the other hand everybody I bump into at this forum or whenever there's a conference tells me that nothing will replace the in-person interaction so what's your opinion on that I couldn't agree more I think um, I think there's a place and
0: it's funny. All this technology existed before the pandemic, but it really got accentuated. teams and, and it all existed. We never used it. There's a place for both. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly an acceleration. Like, you know, if I need to go meet a client in Saudi Arabia and take a four-man technical team and it takes six months to, to get everybody's schedule aligned and it's a week out of everybody's lives to do that, where now it's like, hey, can we do this next Wednesday? So, that is invaluable. But, you know, I was at the Global Water Summit last week, and I felt like I, I pitched a tent in the lobby and just slept there. It felt like that. I mean, three days of just meeting everyone, talking, uh, sometimes over a drink, sometimes over coffee. You can't replicate personal face-to-face relationship interaction. It'll never, you you. but there's a balance to both. What is the trend to watch out for in the water sector? You know, I, I, I think the technologies related to, to reuse, look at the membrane technologies, you know, just three, four years ago, you're limited in membranes to osmotic pressure and, you know, 70, 75,000 TDS. Today, we're talking 250, uh, 225, 250. So membrane brine concentration, uh, some of the things we saw yesterday about desalination, making it more cost effective, that's a trend. Of course, digital, I think digital is sometimes a buzzword, sometimes it's not very clear, but, but I think there's a lot of tools. And it's really interesting is nobody's talking about it yet, maybe next year, but can you imagine the impact of ChatGPT to our industry and, 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 and AI that, that, in that way? And, um, you know, of course there's, there's control and plant control, but what about training? What about opportunities are endless? How can we, I like that, how can we shrink the, the commercialization time? If that would be a trend, that would be a, this is going to be a great industry for us all. If we can change the cycle from 13 years to commercialized technology to even less than five,
1: imagine. Yeah. And 13 years is if you pick the winner. So you could also take something which ends up in Valhalla for forever, but no. that's, again, fascinating topic. But if I open that one. <laughs> we could talk about that for an hour, yeah. You, you mentioned multitasking as something you would like to do a bit less in the future. If I became instant to your assistance, what's the first task he would delegate to me?
0: I'd use your great networking skills to uh, help uh, help increase my thought leadership on LinkedIn. That's a good one. <laughs> Maybe we can discuss that. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, uh, you know, uh, there's so much to do. Uh, just kind of flavor of the week is if I had a uh, maybe a chief of staff or, or or an assistant to help take mine and some of our other decks and cut them in half. You know, it's like, how do you say less? You know, uh, uh, somebody came on the stage yesterday and she said, I promise this is the only slide where I have more than, more than 20 words, words yeah. or 20 words. Yeah, I'm like, I love that, you know. So help in, in permeating a more effective communication strategy because, you know, it's an industry where a lot of engineers you know and we love we love 35 slide decks and it's like how do we do this in 5 you know getting an assistant to help me do that would be great recruitment's a big one recruitment is not the job of the HR team. It's the job of the manager to work in partnership. A lot of critical recruitment and it's not a task. It's a huge opportunity to shape your company and it, it's something that uh, just when you ask about that, geez, if somebody was sitting there, I'd say, help me with this, help me with this. So those are the two
1: things that come to mind. Are you actually recruiting right now? Absolutely. So people can reach out to you or to your company? Absolutely. So if you're listening to that, watching this, you heard the Devesh, so that's that's maybe your next opportunity to, to to grow into a position at Aquatech. Last question, would you have someone to recommend me? I should definitely invite as soon as possible on that microphone. I'll give you three. Tamin Pekip at Upwell, he's the CEO of Upwell Water, brings a a very
0: interesting perse- perspective from the finance side and kind of in an opposite way, highly technical potential podcast is um, Keith Lampy of FTS H2O, who's uh, kind of a pioneer in these brine concentration membrane technology and a great guy to talk to. You'll, you'll love to do that. I also have a uh, job where I'm the, on the board of the International Desalination Association and um, Shannon McCarthy, the Secretary of General, she's here and she's doing a lot of good work in promoting desal uh, around the world and, and reuse.
1: Uh, I think those three come to mind. They'd be very interesting podcasts. Thanks up for the recommendations. If people want to follow up with you after that interview, where should I redirect them the best?
0: I think uh, email. Uh, we can put put up the email on, on, on the pod and
1: um, I think that'll work. Perfect. Well, Devesh, it's been a pleasure. As a set. I can keep on that for hours, but we don't have it today, but we might have it in the future. So I'm looking forward to having a sequel conversation with you as well.
0: Yeah, you're welcome anytime. And maybe uh, not me, maybe uh, you can get a different perspective from Vanky next time. Thanks a lot. All right
1: for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over
0: to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.